All right, grab your notebooks and turn them over, and we're going to remind ourselves of the disciplines that we put in front of ourselves so that we can walk a more holy life. Today what I want to talk about is, is how the disciplines help us when we face trials and why the disciplines are so important. Why a man who disciplines in his own heart and disciplines his home and he has a discipline in his ministry is, is equipped for, for trial. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the ministry and the hermeneutic and the qualifications and the vision of our church and how those are all important as a person walks through trials. A trial is, is God's chosen instrument to grow us in maturity and completeness. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that we will be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And so a trial is God's tool to build a maturity in us and a completeness in us um, that we wouldn't have otherwise. And what I want to talk about is how, how when we discipline ourselves well in our heart and we discipline our homes and we're disciplined in our ministry, we're, we're well equipped to walk in those things. So a man who is shepherding himself regularly, daily, with a, a daily intake of God's word and he's meeting with God, he's praying carefully over God's word and he's responding back to the Lord in prayer. Um, this is a man who can recognize the trial when the trial comes. He can recognize the trial for what it is. And he sees the trial as, as just what James says it is, that it's, it's a tool for growing him in his maturity and his completeness because he's been reading God's word and he's been filling his mind with truth from God's word. When he doesn't fill his mind with truth from God's word, when he's not in healthy communication with God, um, he sees trials for what the world sees trials to be. He sees them as problems. He sees them as inconveniences or a hassle or something like that. Um, but the man who is, who is daily shepherding his heart well sees those trials and he's equipped by the truth of what he's reading to bring glory to God as he walks through those trials. And as he walks through those trials, he finds himself in his own home. He finds himself with his wife, with his family, with his children, with his roommates. He finds himself ready for when those same trials appear in the household. Whether it's a roommate who's losing a job, whether it's a roommate who's stumbling into sin, whether it's issues with a child at school, whether it's issues in his own marriage, when he's a man who is disciplining himself with a regular intake of God's word, he is ready to respond well to those things. And again, scripture tells us when we encounter trials. So when you have roommates, when you have a wife, when you have children, um, when you have a household, you will have trials. And the man who is shepherding his heart is ready to, to serve his family, to serve his roommates well when those trials come. When you have that kind of man who's shepherding his heart when the trials come and he's functioning well in his home, he's counseling his roommates, he's encouraging his roommates, he's praying with his roommates, he's praying with his wife, he's speaking truth to his kids. <clears throat> that kind of man is ready for ministry. That kind of man is ready to step into ministry at this church or at any church. And um, anybody can tell you that there is no lack of trial in, in any ministry that you undertake. Whether you're on setup and teardown and it's July and it's 109 degrees and it's only 7.30 in the morning, you have all of those chairs to put in nice straight rows, that's a trial. That's a trial of one kind. 
or you're you're teaching the the second graders or the first graders, six-year-olds or the seven-year-olds. There are trials that come with that um, because you're dealing with with fallen people. And the man who has shepherded his heart well and he's shepherding his home well is is going to come ready and equipped to bring glory to God as he, he shepherds well in a trial in ministry. At our church, we have plans and programs for men. We're in one right now. We have BUILD, we have H3, we have GBI, we have Shepherdology. Those are all designed to enable man to equip himself well so that he's ready for whatever the Lord brings for him today. And those will be trials. Those will be trials of many kinds. So we need to see ourselves here. The guys who are in H3, they need to see themselves as men who are becoming equipped with God's word And part of that is to be able to handle trials properly and biblically when they come. And when we think about trials, we look at the the deacon qualifications. They're laid out for us in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. And if we look closely at verse 10, um, this is a man who's been tested. A man who's been tested as he's been in church. And when he's been tested, he's been tested by trials. He's had an opportunity to show that his the shepherding of his own heart and the management of his own home and the way that he's been serving um, allows himself to demonstrate himself to be a man who is, is well qualified for the role. So we see that a guy who shepherds his heart and his home and, and brings that into his ministry and, and is serving well and is, is learning well in a program at church like this, like at Build or at H3 or at GBI, he is a man who is going to find trials that will test him and he is a man who will find himself to be proven to be qualified to serve in the roles that God has for him at this church. And so the last discipline is, is the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church. And we talk about drawing in, and we talk about building up, and we talk about sending out. And especially when you think about the process of building up one another, you think of Ephesians 4, it's about verse 16, where the body causes the growth of the body. And a lot of times what God uses is trials for that. This is our, our chosen design that God has given to us in the way in which we, we bring about growth in the body. A lot of those, those opportunities that we have to bring about growth in one another are through trials. So that's part of our vision and purpose here at Grace Bible Church. And we do all of that as we, we focus on the glory of God. We navigate through trials in a biblical manner to bring glory to God, not just to extricate ourselves from a trial. And we can't do that apart from celebrating the cross of Jesus Christ, which has forgiven us for our sin and and purchased us out of our bondage into sin and purchased us to him. And we can't do any of that unless we're ones who are truly indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. So when we think about the vision of our church, we think about how effective that is in the building up of one another as there are trials in our life. So remember the disciplines. Remember to discipline your heart. Remember to discipline your home. And remember to bring those disciplines into the ministries that we have here at church because it is only by doing that that we can give God the glory that he deserves. Okay? Thanks, Scott. Let's take a, work, uh, a look at your homework for next time. We have one more uh, meeting before Christmas comes, and uh, that'll be December 7th, and then we'll be off for about a month until we get back into the new year. Uh, The first side, no surprises, just keep working our way through Psalm 119 so you can practice uh, your...
time in the Word of God to uh, let us get a little window into what your interaction with the Bible is like, and especially uh, if you do uh, write out something of a prayer at the bottom that helps us to see what you're thinking and talking about with, to the Lord about. Um, your time with the Word needs to be very prayerful, it needs to be worshipful, uh, it needs to impact your, your view of God and your address of Him. On the back side, you'll see another study in uh, Proverbs on, this time, marks of an unteachable man. So on the blue sheet that you're handing in today, or that you did hand in today to your small group leader, uh, it was marks of a teachable man. This will be descriptions of an unteachable man. You can probably come up with five just from chapter 1, verses 24 to 33, that first one. It's a kind of a longer section, but read through all of them. And, and if, if you wait to do this, like, you know, two weeks from tonight on a Friday night or three weeks, whatever that is, two weeks, um, you won't get enough time to really let it, uh, let some of these statements and Proverbs soak in. And, um, but think of ways, as you, just make notes as you read through all of those Proverbs, and, and make notes on, on what is, is being said there about the character or, or maybe the outcome of being unteachable, one of the outcomes of being unteachable, you might start making, coming up with some categories of what somebody who does not listen to reproof is like or somebody who does not listen to correction. Um, so just take your time on that and um, use the space down there. Make a mess if you need to, um, but want it to be beneficial for you so that you uh, can make sure that you do not bear the marks of an unteachable man, but also so that you can uh, just care for others around you. Um, all right, let's take a look at your, your lesson for today. We're going to wrap up today uh, really our, our focused study on Discipline 1, on shepherding your heart. Uh, we will continue to talk about it the whole rest of the year, but we'll start taking our lessons and turning the corner and... Uh, now shifting in December to talking about shepherding your home. And uh, so today is really a, a more of a kind of a broader uh, instruction on what it means to, to shepherd your heart. How do you discipline yourself to do that? What I want you to look at is you've got a, a handout where you have like two wheels, okay? You're going to need those two things out in front of you. So if you can put those out like on your desk in front of you or table in front of you, do that. We're going to be referring back and forth to those. The gray circle goes first, and then the blue circle goes second. And the title is, is color-coded, so if it says, uh, you know, listening to yourself, and that's in gray at the top, you're looking at the gray circle. Uh, where it says, uh, shepherding your heart in blue, that's going to be the blue circle. So that's how you tell which one you're, if you've got the right one you're looking at, Okay. So, uh, make sure you've, you've got those sitting out in front of you. We'll talk about those in just a moment. You also might want to have your uh, card out that we gave you at the beginning about the, the, mixed, the new creation. How you've got um, you know, an unmixed condition before you come to Christ. Now, in Christ, you have a mixed condition. In heaven, with Him, you will be in a glorious unmixed condition. We're going to make reference to that in just a moment as well. Alright, so now, your, your worksheet that you have. Uh, that can really be broken down into two sections. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a kind of a... You've got lots of stuff in front of you today, and I just don't want you to get lost in the forest of paperwork that you've got in front of you, okay? Uh, there's two main outline points today in 
uh, our lesson. Number one is shepherding my heart when my Bible is open. If you turn to your next page, it's number two, shepherding my heart throughout the day. Uh, if this lesson will accomplish anything, we hope that what it accomplishes is that you do not think that shepherding your heart is your quiet time only. It is not. Okay? It certainly includes that. And you need to shepherd your heart with the Word of God so that you meet with the God of the Word when you have your Bible open. That's what number one will be about. But if you close your Bible, walk away, and you don't think about shepherding your heart the rest of the day, that's a big fail. That's going to be a a tough day, not just for you, but for just about anybody who's around you. (laughs) So um, that's what number two is about. We're going to spend the bulk of our time on number two. Really all I want to do this morning... Uh, with number one is I, I want to give you um, kind of the, the spirit behind what the time needs to look like when your Bible's open. Okay? So um, what I did is I included for you an example of how the build disciplines might shape your prayerful approach to God through His Word. This is a prayer that I've used, I've added to it over the years. Um, when I, when I come to the Bible in the mornings and um, I'm tired and um, I think that I maybe deserved a little bit more sleep than I got, um, I do not find myself just, wow, this is great. I'm going to open the Bible right now. Read. This is great. I don't find that. Uh, I have to pray um, and have a good answer for a good question. for Why, why am I here? And so this, this is not meant to be a lockstep prayer that you have to pray or anything like that. It's an example. It's a, it's a, a possible prayer for you. that you. I want you to, to think in these ways, but you don't have to say these exact words. But what I want to do is I, I just want to read through the prayer so you get a sense of what we're talking about when your Bible's open. Okay? So, Heavenly Father, I, I intend this time in your word to be an expression of worship of you. An expression of desire for you, love for you, need of you, dependence on you. Any of this and all of this is only possible through your Son, Jesus Christ, who is my Savior. I approach you through Him, my substitute and high priest, the one whom I love but have not yet seen. Okay, You're not reading your Bible just to read and then check off. You are coming to meet with God. And so your prayer needs to reflect something like that. And I gave you four sample paragraphs within of I, why have I opened your word God so you're talking to God about this I have opened your word before I have your word open before me because you have revealed yourself there more clearly than any other place and I long to know you better I desire to see you in all of your glory in the pages before me I simply and humbly draw near to you to study you nearness to you through these pages of scripture is my good I think that is what I missed for so many years as a Christian I opened my Bible and I read because I was interested Um, and yes I love God but that wasn't at the forefront of my mind just to just know God Um, you don't want to miss that second paragraph I also have your word open before me because I need to learn more of the nature of my sin and fallenness before you so that I might better understand what danger I truly was in and what dangers still lurk within me I need to see both the sin that provoked your righteous wrath toward your son and I need to see your grace that moved you to act as Savior toward me in Jesus. 
If I do not fight to have Scripture's view of, uh, of my sin today, I will easily be duped by sin's deception and become unaware of sin's nearness to me. I will then be vulnerable to sin's entanglements. Sin at that point can then become familiar to me, even tolerable to me. Finally, sin can then become a delight to me. And before I know it, I will be in a position of weakness with sin. I will be in the fight of my life to be free from its entanglements. If I do nothing today concerning my view of sin, my view of sin will only grow cloudy. So when my Bible's open, I want to I get a fresh glimpse at what sin is again. It's not the only thing I want to see, but I need to see that again. Third paragraph. Your word is open before me so that I might undergird my life again today with your saving heart and motive in the gospel of your Son who overcame the penalty of my sin and the power of my sin to enslave me. I need the foundation of your gospel under me clearly so that I can see just how you have equipped me through it to fight against my sin and to fight for obedience to you through Jesus Christ. I am here to rehearse your bedrock promises in the gospel to my soul. There are treasures in the gospel of Jesus that I have yet to discover in my own life and I long to find them. If I stagger today under the weight of my sin, the gospel will buoy me and provide me the gospel rest I need. And if I'm in a moment of gospel growth and success, rehearsing the gospel will lead me to humbly acknowledge that all the credit goes to you. That's preaching the gospel to yourself. And so as the Bible is open, your Bible's open, you want to see the gospel again. Depending on where you're reading, some of these things will come out very clearly. Maybe all of them will come out very clearly. Some of them may not come out clearly at all as you're reading through a a lot of names in 1 Chronicles. Okay? fourth paragraph. I have your word open before me to also study what righteousness and holiness of life looks like for the one who has been made into a new creature in Christ. In the new man, you have created a desire for obedience. I need to consistently feed those new God-given desires in my new condition so that they grow. If I do not study this righteousness and holiness of life and what the blessings of obedience are, I should not expect my desire for obedience to grow. Indwelling sin will do everything possible to quench that desire. By your grace and power, as I see holiness of life placed in front of me in the pages of Scripture, I long to better align my life and behavior with what pleases you. Guys, if we read our Bibles and we walk away and we don't become more holy, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Um, I have felt that acutely in my own life. Um, you can have your Bible open and then just throughout the day be completely um, failing in, in applying it, obeying it. Follow-up or conclusion statement in the prayer. I desire my heart and mind to be full of you because of what these pages reveal to me about you and all of your triune greatness. I long for you to spill out of me into my home and wherever you lead me today. Discipline two and three sneaking in. All who come into contact with me today must interact with a man whose heart has drawn near to you. Their best hope for salvation or their best hope for growth in the gospel will come from a man who has searched for you in your word and gazed upon your son in the gospel and a man who walks by your spirit. In Christ's name I pray, amen. A sample prayer, a suggestion for you. Come up with your own. Pray something like that yourself. And then open your Bible and read, worshipfully. Stop yourself while you're reading and 
just get lost in prayer for a moment with God. God, I can't believe this reveals what this reveals about you. Or I, I haven't thought about my, my sin that way today. Or I see in the psalmist a, a passion for obedience that's waning in my own life. Those are moments to stop and talk to God. If you look at what I have next for you, on, on, I think on the next page, when you come to the Bible in the morning, I, I heard this a while ago, I, I forget if it's um, Matthew Henry had this, or, or I think it's actually Robert Murray McShane um, had, I, I think that's where I got this question. Why have I come before you? Why am I here is basically the question. Your Bible's open in the morning, you're rubbing the sleep out of your eye, you got your cup of coffee, and you're sitting down, you're like, why am I here? You need to have a good answer for that question. And that's what that kind of prayer just went through, is giving an answer to that question. I'm here to, to, to grow in my knowledge of you, God. I, why am I here? I want my Bible open and me before it. I want this to be an expression of my love for you, God. I just don't want this to be Bible reading. It's got to be so much more than that. This needs to be my expression of love for you. God wrote a letter to us to sit there and before Him want to talk to Him about it and want to that to be an expression of love for Him. I think that brings that's got to be one of the greatest uh, sorts of producers of joy in God to see His children do that. I, I want this to be an expression of my enjoyment and my delight in You. God, I, I enjoy You. But, but I don't always feel that first thing. Or if it's for you the end of the day and, and you've been defiled by the day, and now you're going to read your Bible, you probably don't feel all warm and fuzzy. Listen, when it's cold outside, and, there, and it's nighttime, and there's a fire, why do you come to the fire? Because you're already warm? Why do you come to a fire? Because it has what you don't have. Why do you come to your Bible? Because you already feel near to God? No, you come because you're cold and you're a sinner still. and you, you have indwelling sin that drags you away all of the time. You come to this because it's a flame and you've got to get warm. And you want it to be an expression of enjoyment of Him and delight in Him. And the more our problem is we don't read enough. Our, our problem is we don't read enough. We, we think that we sometimes... Um, what am I trying to say? Don't think that you just need to read less. I'm just reading too much and I'm just not getting I just need to read a little bit and really focus in on what I'm reading. Sometimes you might need to read five or six chapters before you even get warmed up. Sometimes try that. Instead of thinking, I'm only setting aside 15 minutes to read, why don't you set aside 45 minutes to read and just one time read for 45 minutes and watch what happens after about 20 minutes of reading. Okay? You might find your enjoyment of God changing. Your delight in God changing. Why are you here to, to express your fear of God? What if a lawmaker makes a set of laws and, and he actually sees you going over those laws, paying attention to those laws? That's what he is. It's an opportunity to express worshipful fear of God. To, why else are you there? Why else do you come to a, your refrigerator? Because you need why do you come to, the, to, to get water? Because you need. Why do you come to the Bible? You need. And you need God, most of all, right? To just deepen your relationship with God. The, the, talk to God about these kinds of things. God, why am I here this morning? 
I'm here because... And whatever comes to your mind, talk to him about it. And then read your Bible. Okay? So that's shepherding your heart when your Bible's open. But in one sense, that's the easy thing. That's the easy part. You've got to live the whole rest of the day with your indwelling sin and all of the indwelling sin of the other unbelievers around you and all of the other unregenerate sinners around you in a world system that is at odds with God, fighting against every part of who he is, and you've got to go step into that. If you think you put a period at the end of shepherding your heart and just walk into that day, you're toast. Um, so we need to talk about what it means to shepherd your heart throughout the day. And this is where I want you to see your, your diagrams. Um, now, part two, that's where we're at next. Part two is broken down into two spots. And you can kind of see the, the like checkoff boxes for each of those. You've got two options for the day in front of you. You can, one, listen to yourself all day long. Or, second box, you can shepherd your heart. You can talk to yourself all day long. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. Martin Lloyd-Jones is the, the preacher back uh, in the last century who brought this out. He was a doctor and, and he, under, he was a great preacher. He had great understanding of God's word. He was a, an excellent pastor. And he understood that as he was caring for people, what he noticed most was that people tend to listen to themselves more than they talk to themselves. And he even noticed that in the Psalms. What is David doing? Why are you in such trouble, soul? Whose soul is he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's not crazy. He understands that he needs to talk to himself. He needs to shepherd his heart. He needs to shepherd himself throughout the day. If you do nothing and you don't think about this, guess which one you're going to do throughout the day, naturally. You're going to talk to yourself just naturally and tell yourself what's true and what's right and what's biblical, and what's honorable. No, you're going to listen to all of the thoughts that just run through your head, and you're going to be an audience just sitting there listening to thoughts um, going on. In Christ, because of what God has done in the new man, you have the ability to tell yourself the truth. You have, a, you have the ability kind of to separate almost away from yourself and be in this mixed condition where you can tell your flesh the truth. When you are in an unmixed condition without Jesus, you can only listen to yourself and what your flesh says. Your mind and your flesh are in agreement and they just say the same thing. But in Christ, you, you have to renew your mind and you need to tell yourself what to think. And you need to tell yourself what to say. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So let's talk first about listening to yourself. This is a horrible, deplorable thing that happens. It happens in me every day. It happens in you every day. And if you're not aware that you do it, you just get sucker punched left and right on this. Okay? So now what we're looking at is the gray circle. I want you to put that in front of your notes. You may decide today that you only want to take notes on this thing and just scribble on this. That's fine. If you want to set the outline aside, you can do that. Or you may want to just take notes on the outline and then later put your outline and your circle together and you can kind of, however you want and after this is my first time teaching this and getting this out of my own head to you, next year it'll probably be cleaner and simpler. And so you guys are guinea pigs. Sorry, but deal with it. All right, let's talk about listening to myself. It starts at the top of the circle. I desire. All of us have desires, 
And all of us have desires all day long, and we add to that desire, oftentimes, I deserve. And that oftentimes then just unravels completely and it becomes a demand. So I've got demands. I've got expectations. And that's where life gets really challenging for you and for anybody around you. Okay? So let's talk about, let's think biblically about our desires. Um, First, on that number one there, I just want to refresh our memories about this. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Before Jesus was in your life, talk to me about your desires. What do you know to be true about your desires before Christ, before you were united with Christ, crucified, raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven? You're a slave to your desires. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Among them too, and those are the sons of disobedience, among those guys, we too all formally lived, and look, here's some desires. We lived in the lusts of our flesh, in the passions of our flesh. We were indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. So your flesh and the way that you were as a thinker were not at odds at all. They were in complete agreement and there were desires that both of them had. And you lived in them and you did them, you indulged in them. So every desire you had, and you can go back and look at Romans 1, you can look at Ephesians 4, uh, verses 17 through about verse 19, uh, there's nothing good going on in your mind before Christ. Only bad desires. But now, in Christ, what happens? This is where you can take a peek at your chart for a moment. At conversion, what happens at conversion? Oh man, all kinds of things because of the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and faith and repentance in Him. Man, these are the benefits for you. Regeneration, union with Christ, adoption, expiation of your sin, propitiation. All of this happening ushers you into a new life, a new creation. And now you are a mixed creature within, and now for the first time there are there's the possibility of good desires. Good desires. Let me give you some examples of some good desires um, that you can have as you as we just still think biblically about our desires. First Peter chapter one verses twenty two to chapter two verse three. You don't have to turn there on this one. Let me just read it to you. You can have a desire for the Word of God now that you never had before. You can have a desire for the Word of God. First uh, Peter chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word. Desire it strongly. You can have a desire for God's Word. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. What, what other kind of desire can you have now in Christ? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. How about this? Um, verse... Indeed, in this house, in this body we are in here, we groan. Longing, there's a desire, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. What, do you, what, do we, what can we desire now? Heaven. Being with Jesus. Being absent from the body, but present with the Lord. We, we can long for that. Drop down to verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, our desire, whether at home in this body... Um, or whether at home with Jesus or absent in this body, here's what we desire. We desire to be pleasing to Him. You can now have a desire to be pleasing to God. Uh, let me give you a kind of another random. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Any man who aspires to the office of overseer, it is a good thing for which that he desires. 
You can have all kinds of new desires in Christ. Good desires. What's the point in terms of thinking biblically about desires? In Christ now, you are capable of God-honoring desires. That's important to understand. You have a whole host of other desires throughout the day. You desire your wife to love you. You desire your wife, if you're married, to honor you and respect you. You desire, if you've got kids, you desire them to honor and respect and obey you. If you're a son or a daughter living at home, you... There are no daughters here. Um, If you're a son and you're at home with your parents, you desire your parents to take good care of you. Those are good desires. You have a desire to uh, be financially stable. That's a good desire. You have a, a desire perhaps for good health. Nothing wrong with that. Desire. You have a desire to be free from pain. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to see how many different ways I can inflict pain upon myself. And then you get a lighter and start burning your flag. Nobody does that. We, we try to avoid pain. But these are decent desires. Nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. But what's interesting is when you subtly and quickly and without even thinking add to the desire, I deserve. Because after all, it's a good what? It's a good desire. And so don't I deserve it? Don't, doesn't anybody and everybody who has a good desire, don't they deserve to have it be carried out? And then the next thing you know, you can easily turn all of that into a demand. Especially when you just kind of keep going and what is a good desire doesn't get carried out and you think you deserve it. After a while, you can find yourself without thinking, acting like this is, I kind of demand this. I demand this of my wife. I demand this of my children. Last night, guys, I, I was trying to talk with one of my kids about something. And um, they had all sat down to, to, with, with my wife to, to watch a, uh, an episode of something on Netflix. And uh, we, um, I wanted to say something to one of them because there had just been some conflict between two of them. And the remote is in her hand. And she's looking at me and the TV's right there. And when she saw me take a breath, she goes, okay. And she looked towards the TV and I was just like, okay, we're done here. I, and I started to walk off, and, and my wife goes, where, where are you going? And I was all offended. And I, I just said, I, I, got, I got to go work. She goes, well, don't, don't walk away. And I said, I don't know. I don't even know what else I would say at this point. It's, it's all right. And so I'm acting like it's no big deal. It's, it's okay. And my daughter is like, what, what just happened? And... Um, Two hours go by and, and we're, we're finishing up the, the night and, and my wife is pay, walking back and forth in the bedroom and I'm just watching her. My conscience is walking back and forth across the room. I go, anything you want to say? And she, uh, she goes, what was that? I go, it's okay, I'm not offended. She goes, <laughs> so anyway, just look, I had... I desired my child to honor me, to listen to me. Um, I think she was wrong to do that. And it's just real simple. All she had to do was just say, Dad, will you forgive me? That's it. That's all that had to happen. 
But I, that had become, I'm, I'm sitting here going, I wish that, God, you would have given me a different illustration that didn't involve my sin for the next one. All I can think about is this is exactly what I wrestle with every single day. And I think that if you'll spend some time in this and if we can make it clear today, you'll find that this is the way that we think. You can, you can get yourself to demands before you even know it. We get there at warp speed. I mean, you're just there. You don't even have to work to get to a demand. Um, the second little I-I underneath number one, what, what will you hear yourself saying? What will, you, what will you hear yourself tell yourself throughout the day? My good desires deserve to be honored. My good desires, they deserve to be honored, carried out, fulfilled. I deserve to have my wife respect me more. My children obey me better. My boss recognized my hard work more. I deserve that. So if I could summarize the top part of your, your diagram up here. What is this? What are we trying to say? This. You, in Christ, are capable of some very good desires. You are. You also are capable of adding some very bad thinking along with them that will mess everything up. So you're capable of some very good desires. You're also capable of adding some very wrong thinking to those good desires. You will think that you deserve something and deserving will become a demand. So now, let's talk about the rest of the circle. It goes off in a counterclockwise fashion. you got the I, I desire, I deserve, I even demand. The first thing you're going to notice in yourself, in your life, guys... As you're going to see this big black word over here, disappointment. You are going to be one perpetually disappointed guy when you have these good desires, maybe, and you have a des- you think you deserve them, and you- but you've turned it into a demand, and your child, your wife, your mom, your dad, your roommates, your, your pastors, your-, your small group leader, your small group co-members, you're going to be disappointed very quickly. Um, and then that's just keeps going around disappointment that keeps going on and on very quickly becomes discouragement down at the bottom discouragement will in time become despair and this wheel will just keep turning and it'll just keep turning and it'll just keep turning and you'll wonder why you become a disappointed discouraged and even hopeless guy there are a whole bunch of other words that are around that circle Um, these are other things you might find yourself... These, these are sins, guys. You might find yourself, as you think that way, um, thinking you're a pretty wise guy. I, I mean, I've, this is a good desire. I've really thought this through. You might be boastful about what you've thought and what you expect. You will find yourself grumbling because people aren't doing what you think you deserve for them to do. You will start complaining. You'll be a complainer. There will be bitterness rising up in your life. And these aren't in order like this and then that. These are just, they all go together. they got to be put someplace on the circle. You will dispute with others. You'll find that in that, you're actually, you really love yourself. Selfish ambition 
will be you will be critical of others. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you can't see the log in your own? You ever feel that way? Like you can just everybody, everything everybody says. It's just not the right way to say it. It's just not the right way to do it. And you can see it, and it just drives you crazy. And, and so you, you start to, to point it out to everyone. Become very critical of others. And at some point, you become a lover of pleasure and lover of comfort down at the bottom. This is um, where I think we really become, I can become a comfort junkie. I am so unpleasant in my own soul. I am so unsettled. I am so disappointed that all I want is to guard myself and just give myself a little peace. I mean, nobody's doing anything I want them to do. And I just need a little peace, and so I'm guarding myself. I, I stay away from conflict. I, I stay away from, my, I'll just put distance between my family and my kids. And my, I don't even have to leave the room. I can just check out. And I'm in my little happy place, and I don't have to deal with any, any trouble. But we can become lovers of comfort. We crave, guys, we crave our comfort. Disappointment left unchecked. Discouragement left unchecked will unsettle you. It'll make you weary. And you'll just want some peace. And you'll love your comfort. You'll love yourself more. You're self-focused. You have self-pity. You're a victim. You're a victim. Watch watch for these kinds of words and this kind of thinking. You, You become a martyr. Easily. Moving around to the other side of uh, up the other side of the circle for you. you, you can become envious of people, jealous. That guy doesn't have any. Why is he so happy? How can he be so happy? Well, he obviously doesn't have to deal with the people that I deal with. You become ungrateful. You're not thankful about anything. What do you have to be thankful for? Every one of your good desires, not everyone, a lot of your good desires never goes met. And you can become very anxious. You can become very controlling. You'll try to control people. You become angry with people. You can find yourself just so easily set off. Your, your kid, your kid doesn't have to do anything. Your kid just has to look away from you to the TV, and you're angry. I'm angry. You become vengeful. You look for some ways to maybe get back. A little jab there little jab back there. You become easily overcome by evil. And why on earth would you pray? You tried that, and you just don't keep getting your desires fulfilled. So what's the point of praying? Guys, this is a, this is a horrible condition to get into. And I'm not describing some evil, wicked man down the street from you, around the corner. This is me. This is you, left unchecked. We're men without peace. We, we wonder, why on earth would Paul write something like, don't bite and devour one another? Well, that makes sense. People would do that who live this way. And we're hopeless. That's despair. And, and the, the, the worst part in all of this, guys... And I just kind of walked through the number two, disappointment, discouragement, and despair, the cycle of it all. Guys, you'll feel like people fail left and right. They fail you left and right. But but the thing that you need to be most concerned about is, is you'll probably develop thinking in there that God has failed you. That God isn't doing what you think he should do. 
and you begin to jettison God, why read your Bible? I mean, after all, you're reading your Bible and you're having your quiet time, but this is the way your day goes. So I read my Bible in the morning and my life unravels through the day. A lot of good that Bible reading did. So why, why am I reading my Bible? What's the point? You see, shepherding your heart is not just what you do when your Bible's open. It's what you must do all day long. What can you expect if that wheel turns round and round and round and round and round and round and round? Get all the guns out of your house. Just kidding. <laughs> what can you expect? I got some other things. This is number three on your outline. What can I expect if the cycle continues unbroken? These are other things you might want to add around your circle or just write them down at the bottom and put them in later. You'll be easily discouraged at the slightest little thing. It won't just be disappointment anymore that comes first. You will just you will go from happy to discouraged immediately because you're just it's happened so often. Reading your Bible seems useless. That's what will happen. Reading your Bible seems ineffective. If this cycle just keeps going unchecked, you'll begin to doubt God's character. You'll doubt His goodness towards you. He's good, really? When was the last time I saw that? You'll doubt His faithfulness. You'll doubt His provision for your life. You, you will not feel close to God. You will not sense His presence. You won't sense His pleasure over your life. And worship will be hard. You'll come to church. You'll come to small group and you'll be sitting there and you'll be going, we're trying to sing. My heart is someplace else. You will question God's plan for your life. If this cycle keeps going, you'll question God's purpose for your life you will doubt you will harden your heart against other people and and worst of all you'll harden your heart towards God if this keeps going fruit of the spirit will be absent love joy what's that peace have no idea what that is patience no use for that Kindness to people, gentleness, that doesn't work. Self-control, it's all gone. No fruit of the Spirit. You'll, you'll lack desire to obey. You'll lack power to overcome sin. And making a hard step towards obedience, it, it, it'll just seem impossible. You'll be unwilling, unable to take hard steps of obedience. Obedience will be a task. What John says in 1 John 5, that his commandments are not burdensome, will seem like a lie to you. If you listen to yourself all day, this is what you'll do. Because this is what your indwelling sin will do. It'll say, okay, I'll grant you the good desire, but you know, you deserve that. In fact, you know what? These people haven't given you what you've deserved. You should probably start demanding it. Just up your tone a little bit. Demand it. Life becomes very miserable. And people don't like you very much. <laughs> the people closest to you will find you to be difficult. 
We'll see our wives walking back and forth at the foot of the bed. You'll see your conscience looking just like your wife. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about something better, shall we? Please jump in. You know, a couple of minutes ago, Scott mentioned toward the bottom, of, towards discouragement, it says lover, pleasure, and comfort. Uh, I, I think it would be good to kind of identify. I'm sure you're sitting there saying, yeah, 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 right on, Scott, that's great. I think it would be good to practically identify what some of those comforts might look like. Mm. Uh, it could look like excessive behaviors, like excessively how much you might work. It could be excessive uh, playing of video games. It's a comfortable place to go high. Uh, it could be too much TV. Uh, for a group of guys, it could be pornography. Going somewhere where there is comfort, practically speaking. It could be shopping for some people, which go spend money that they don't have. Um, it could be even eat. We do sinful things to get comfortable when we're in the midst of disappointment or discouragement. So take an inventory. You know, there might be seasons where you might have to work hard. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about when you are in the midst of having a desire, something you think you deserve, not being met, and you go into these type of behaviors that end up being a comfort and end up being safe. That's really helpful. Go, go to the, the next one. And then we can spend some time talking about the whole. So now you want the blue circle. This is the happy place you want to be. This is repentance. That's right. This is talking to yourself throughout the day. This is shepherding your heart throughout the day. Um, Now what is immediately different with this is the top. In one sense. Um, It's not in the sense of being a, a man who desires. You still desire... And you'll still have those same very desires. Um, But what you'll do differently is you'll add to it what you truly deserve. Okay? Let's talk about what we mean by that. Well, Well, first before that, just this idea of shepherding your heart throughout the day. Look at Psalm 16 real quick. Just to give you a biblical support for... Uh, that we're not just talking about reading your Bible in the morning, but that you actually need to bring God's Word to bear on your life throughout the day. Uh, Psalm 16. I love this. David says in verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. And here it is. I have set Yahweh continually before me. That's what it means to shepherd your heart throughout the day, to set the Lord before you in everything, continually. Because He is at my right hand, I can't be shaken. You'll be, you'll still be disappointed 
It's kind of hard to live in this world and not be disappointed. But you won't be shaken. Okay, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. Go to James chapter 1. Just to make the case for shepherding your heart throughout the day. Um, I remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was two meetings ago, when Scott walked us through the disciplines, uh, he used this passage uh, in regards to shepherding your heart. James 1, verse 22, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The guy who reads his Bible and walks away and doesn't do it is the hearer who deludes himself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away into his day, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. You've got to shepherd your heart with the word all day long. Right? You want to look at it intently and abide by it. What about 1 Peter chapter 1? Go one more book to the right. Verse 13. Therefore... Pre, uh, chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Prepare your minds for action. That's not like the battlefield that begins in your quiet time and ends in your quiet time and you prepared your mind for the action right then and now you walk away from it. That's, no, that's where you begin preparing your mind for action, but your life all day, the rest of the day, needs the Word of God. All right, so now let's talk about desires. Let's think about desires a little bit differently. And then we're going to use some of the passages we used last week from Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. This is number one. What I must tell myself throughout the day concerning my desires. Here's what you need to tell yourself about your desires. I don't care if they're good. You may want, you may want your, your family member to come to Jesus Christ. That's a great desire. Nobody's saying change that desire. But you need to think rightly about your desires. Look at Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1. And to the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Even the answer of the tongue of the people around you. You have a plan, you bring it to bear, you have a desire to lay it out in front of people, and the answer from their tongue is from the Lord. The answer of your tongue of what comes. The answer from his tongue is from the Lord. The, the outcome is from the Lord because he is sovereign over even your desires. My desires. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Man, you and I, we have our desires and when we think about them, we can't find one flaw in them at all. Every, all the ways of man are clean in his own sight. But what's going on? The Lord is weighing the motive. Drop down to verse 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So what does that tell you when you have a desire and it doesn't get carried out? Who's responsible? I'll read it again. The mind of man 
plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God oftentimes directs your steps right into unfulfilled desires. Ignored desires. That's what he does. He's in control. Chapter, 20, uh, chapter 19, Proverbs 19, verse 21. <clears throat> many plans are in a man's heart. Many desires you will have in the form of plans, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Whatever it is that the Lord has counseled, that's what's going to stand. Just because you planned something doesn't mean that it deserves to stand. God's counsel stands. Chapter 21, verse 2. Proverbs 21, 2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Proverbs 28, 26. Guys, you should memorize this one. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. If you devise plans in your heart and you're trusting in your yourself, uh, you're a fool. I'm a fool when we do that. It's a great desire. Why would I not have this happen? And why can't people see that? And you're just so focused on your wisdom and your own you're wise in your own estimation. But don't trust in yourself. How about James chapter four? Let's go to the New Testament. James chapter 4, verse 13. Here's a desire. James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and we'll spend a year there and engage in business and we'll make a profit. It's the American way, right? That's a desire. It's a plan. What should you tell yourself? Verse 14. I don't know what my life will be like tomorrow. I'm just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, what I ought to say, verse 16, or verse 15, if the Lord wills, I'll be alive. Let's just start there. If the Lord wills, tomorrow I'll be alive. That's a good place to start. And I'll do this for that. But as it is, verse 16, you boast in your arrogance. What is he talking about? Is this a new context? This is the same context. When we say, I have a desire, I want this, and and there may not be nothing wrong about wanting to go do whatever it is that we want to do, but when we do that without any recourse and without bringing God into the center of our desires, what is this? We're boasting in our arrogance, verse 16, and, and that kind of boasting is evil. To the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is, it is sin. Therefore, is that a new context? What, what do you know to do? What, what do we need to do with our desires? We need to bring God back into the center of our desires. God must be at the center of our desires. It's not wrong to have desires. It's not wrong to have good desires. But what it's right to do, even with good desires, is to make sure that we put God at the center of them. I planned my way, but Lord... You will direct my steps. I've planned my way, but the answer from the tongue is from you. Uh, Tomorrow I would like to see this from my family. Tomorrow I'd like to see that at my job. Tomorrow I'd like to see this at my church. But if I live, that's a good thing. And anything else, God, that comes, I'll, I'll, I'll be good with that too. That's what you must tell yourself throughout the day concerning your desires. Listen, guys, just because 
you or I have um, a desire that is not obviously sinful, or just because we have a desire that, that is good, even according to Scripture, it's good, it doesn't mean that God is under obligation to fulfill it. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? Just because you have a good desire, or just because you have a desire that's not obviously sinful, God's not under, under obligation to carry it out. Secondly, what must I tell myself throughout the day concerning what I truly deserve? You want to talk about what I truly deserve? What, what do we truly deserve, guys? This is where you get to preach the gospel to yourself. What, what do we truly deserve? How about Romans chapter 2? Write this down. Romans 2, verse 5 and 6 and 9 and 12 and 13. Romans 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, those who are selfishly ambitious, wrath and indignation. Verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also of the Greek. Verse 12, doesn't matter if you've got the law or you don't have the law. You're in big trouble. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Let's talk about what we truly deserve. Here's some key words. Wrath. Righteous judgment. Verse 9. Tribulation and distress. That's what I truly deserve. Verse 12. Perishing judgment. How about Romans chapter 5? Remember this? It's when we were helpless that Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 8, verse 9, much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. We deserve wrath. What about Romans six twenty-three? For the wages of sin is death. Guys, take your desires take your desires and put God back at the center of them. I have my desires, I have my plans, but the answer's from God. The answer and the steps are mapped out by God. Now, with what you deserve, put the gospel back at the center. So God at the center of your desires, the gospel back at what you deserve. What do you truly deserve? You deserve what I deserve, and that is hell. Guys, here's a truth for you. The believer's worst possible day on earth is miles of goodness above what we deserve. Your worst possible day on earth as a believer is miles of goodness above what you deserve. So you need to bring the gospel back into the center of what you deserve. So... I desire, I do desire, but I'm going to put God at the center of my desires. And I am a deserving um, man. What do I really deserve? I've got to shepherd my heart to think what I truly deserve. I'm not going to get it, but I truly deserve it. I earned that, but I didn't pay it. So what does that make you do then? Does that make you want to have any demands? No. You put what I deserve or what I desire about what I truly deserve. That makes you relinquish all perceived rights. See, back another way to look at it on the, on the other circle is what you demand is, I have some rights. 
I have a right to be respected. It's a demand. Well, when you think this way, you relinquish everything like that. Who cares if it... You don't... God doesn't have... He's under an obligation to bring any of that to pass. It may be pleasing to Him for your children to honor you. Maybe not today. Maybe tomorrow. Or maybe next year. But you leave that to God. You make no demands on people and you make no demands on God. And if with that kind of thinking, you'll find the circle looks a whole lot different. Look at the circle down on the left side. You're still going to have disappointment. You're still going to have disappointment. Things are not going to go the way that you hoped they would go. But hopefully that disappointment will be short-lived disappointment. A disappointment that you can get out of more quickly. You will need to be a dependent man down at the bottom. And instead of being a man who has despair in your life, you you can be a hopeful man. You, You can live actually believing that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. What kinds of other descriptions will you find about this man? Um, he'll be a man who will say, well, if the Lord wills, I'll do that. See, that's a man who put God back at the center of his desires. You'll find him to be a man who's not seeking after his own, because love does not seek its own. You'll find him to, not, to be a man who's not wise in his own estimation. Guys, I'd encourage you on these. Um, we don't have time to look at all of the, 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 the biblical references of these. But go back, maybe write some of these out. Um, Maybe you commit some of them to memory that really tie in to where you're at. You'll find this man being humble. There will be a humility to him. This man can be patient because he put God at the center of his desires. He knows what he truly deserves and he hasn't made any demands on people and he's not gotten what he wants. He can wait. This man can wait. It's a very different man. He can also be thankful. He can be thankful. He's not in hell today. Isn't that a good thing? That's a good day. He can also be gentle towards those who sin against him and who just don't seem to get it. There's a kindness in there. What, what are these? Uh, gentleness, patience, kindness. What are these? It's the, all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit is like in fertile soil and can grow. He's a loving man. There's contentment in his life. He's a man who needs strength. He's dependent. He he needs strength. He needs endurance. He's got self-control. This is a man who can be joyful. You wonder why that guy can be so stinking joyful when things don't go his way? Well, maybe he's thinking rightly. Go figure. This man is not vengeful. He's not looking for opportunities to to send a jab back. This is a guy who can be devoted to prayer, is devoted to prayer. This man has an inexplicable, inexplicable peace. He's peaceable. He, he wants to bring peace to where there's conflict. And he likes to overcome evil with good. Now, I, I want to go back. I, I skipped over the, the perceived rights and the no demands. Um, please do. I don't. I don't know if I have a, a good answer. The way that I, the way that comes to my mind, I'll tell you what I'm thinking, and you guys can test it with scripture and, and or add to it or take away from it. Peaceful is I would see as somebody who is at peace. Peaceable 
I think has to do with um, an ability to bring peace to a situation, maybe outside him. He's a peaceable man. He can be peace can be made with him between others, and he makes peace with others. Um, I don't know if I'm thinking rightly on that. For whatever. I think you are. Uh, I would say for us to be at peace, typically you see peace very closely in context to uh, in scripture, especially in the New Testament. You see peace that it comes from God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. To be peaceable would be like a Matthew 5, to be a peacemaker, that it is our relationship on a uh, horizontal, but to be at peace, it is, it's a John 14, 27. Hmm. My peace I leave you, my peace I give you. The peace we have in our vertical relationship only comes through God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I So a peaceful man can be a peaceable man. Yes. Something like that. Yes, Shaq. Can you, can you talk about the role of repentance and reconciling. We're, that's next. All right. You are right there. But I, I skipped the part. I skipped the, 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 the three under number one. What must I tell myself throughout the day concerning my perceived rights? You want to you watch a man who had a good desire and God didn't answer it? Do you want to see that? You want to see what he did? Go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. What do you need to tell yourself throughout the day concerning any perceived rights you think you have that you would relinquish. Watch a man relinquish a good desire. Okay? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul had just talked about a a vision that he had had. Um, Whether he was in the body or apart from the body, he doesn't know how he had it, but he had this vision in heaven, of heaven. And he says in verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself... Did you know the Apostle Paul was in a mixed condition? Did you know that he was a man who was tempted to exalt himself? The Apostle Paul. He was. And so God helped him by giving him a thorn in the flesh. Look at that. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Watch this. Did, what, what was his desire? When that came and he was like, whoa! What was his desire? Concerning this, I implored the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times that this might leave me. That was his desire. Lord, take this away. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, no. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. I've given you something else. I've given you grace in the midst of you not getting what you want. Paul My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. In you, not getting what you want, you are weak. And I'll give you my power that is associated with my grace. Most gladly, therefore. Most gladly? What kind of business does that word have doing in this this section? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness. Now what is that? I'm going to boast that I didn't get what I wanted. And I'm in this affliction. I will boast about this weakness that I feel so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Here's a man who's focused on Christ. Therefore, I am well content. Not because he got everything he wanted, but he's got contentment that the world does not know. 
I am well content with weaknesses. I'm well content to not get what I want because I have God's grace. I'm content with insults. I'm content with distresses. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with difficulties for Christ's sake because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I I, I tell you what, here's a man who had a good desire. He brought that desire to God and he had a plan of his heart, but the Lord directed his steps. He had a plan in his heart, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And God said, I have grace for you in the midst of that. Guys, God has grace for you in the midst of the, whatever it is that won't, isn't going your way. Power for you to live under and in. What a contrast. I mean, when you think about this, um, when you think about this life compared to the other one, um, what's the difference? Let me tell you what the difference is not. Okay, this guy here, had desires and not all, they're not getting fulfilled. And he's a miserable wretch. Welcome to my life oftentimes. A miserable wretch. This guy has joy and peace and, and all kinds. He's, he's a radically different man. And let me tell you what's not different. Or what's, yeah, what, what the difference is not. It's not that he gets everything he wants. You think this man... The way that he should get happy is give him what he wants. And God says, I'm going to make you happy by not giving you everything you want. But I'm going to give you my grace. And I'm going to give you power. And you can be happy. You can be glad. You can be content. You can even boast in not getting what you want. That's the difference. Now, Shag asked the perfect question. This is what we need to finish with. How do you repent of this? What is this? Where do you go? Let me tell you what not to do. Or let me give you a couple tips first. Gray circle. Um, I can remember not long ago, I was sitting with Tom. We were having lunch. And I'm spilling out just my, I'm all these kinds of things. I'm just not happy. I'm not joyful. I'm not. Just, it's, it's a mess. And Tom asked me this question out of the blue that I thought had absolutely nothing to do with what I was talking about. He has said, are you disappointed? And I'm, in my mind, I'm like going, two things. Number one, yeah, I am. And what on earth does that have to do with anything right now? The disappointment in your life needs to not be something that you are unaware of anymore. But it needs to, be, needs to become a flag. Okay, this needs to be something you're aware of. That when you see it, when you become aware of it, you go, uh-oh, something's going on. And I need to not just let it rush over me like a big wave. I need to let this become a flag. It's waving at me. I'm disappointed. Something's wrong. And I need to address it. You need to let all of these words that are around the circle, when you find yourself getting anxious, or when you find that you're just not grateful, you're not thankful, if you find that all of a sudden you're snapping at people around you, you're impatient, those things need to be flags that wave at you and go, uh, we got some work to do. We need to shepherd our heart right now. We need to tell ourselves, I act like there's more of us than one in me. We need, I need to tell myself what's right, not listen to myself anymore. Okay? These become flags that get your attention. Now, let me tell you how your life will... Be, um, let, me, let me have it get even a, maybe a little darker first for a moment. Let's say you're impatient. 
Your wife has noticed it before you. Your children have noticed it before you. Your roommates have noticed it before you. Everybody around you has noticed that you're impatient, but you. Okay, what should I do? I need to. I, I don't want to be impatient. I don't want to be a sinful man. What should I do? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll memorize um, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I'll do. I'm going to commit that to memory, and I'm going to think about what patience is. I'm going to first... Thessalonians 5.14, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. That's it. I'm just going to be patient with all men. Just going to memorize that. And um, you next day get up and impatience is back. And so you go over the verse a little bit more. I just need to be patient with all men. This is a sin. God, what is going on? I'm, I'm addressing my sin with your word. And it's like, a, it's like a weed that in my yard, when I mow, I cut off the top of it and I can't see it, but tomorrow it's back. Why does it keep coming back? Because you have not what? I haven't what? You've got to get down below and get the what? The root. What is the root? What is the root for every single one of these things? It goes back to what? How you're thinking about your desires and your, what you deserve, and what you demand. Here's what you need to do on this circle. I didn't put it in for you. From any one of these descriptions on the side, you need to draw an arrow that comes right back up through the top. So let's... Bitterness. Bitterness is in my life. Ah, flag! I'm bitter towards my wife. I'm bitter towards my church. I'm bitter towards whomever. Come right back up here and make a beeline for your desires... What you think you deserve and have you made any demands, that's the root. Um, You're anxious, make a beeline for your desires, what you think you deserve and any demands you've made. Are you an ungrateful person at work? You just, there's nothing to be thankful about. Make a beeline for what? That's where the root is. That's where this came from. So you can all the time just keep mowing it off at the top and it'll be gone for a a half an hour if you're lucky. And then it's coming right back because you didn't get the root. So how do you repent of this? You repent by replacing all of the wrong thinking about what you desire, what you deserve, and what you're demanding. You replace it with your desires, putting God at the center of your desires. You repent of it by putting the gospel at the center of what you truly deserve. And you relinquish all of your rights. God, you do whatever you want to do. Here's my request, but God, if you don't answer it, I'll be well content with my weakness. There's repentance. If you just try to deal with it at the outer circle level, it just keeps coming back. It just keeps coming back. And that only adds... See, this is what's especially deceptive about this. You're trying to repent. You're, You're even trying to bring God's word to bear on it. And it might be helpful for a while on that particular sin. But because that sin came from someplace else, you're not applying scripture to the root. And so you can be in God's word and find yourself unable to overcome sin. And you become very discouraged. You can even become hopeless. I mean, God, what is this? I'm using your word, and I just can't overcome this sin. Not fighting in the right place. 
Guys, I only share this with you because this is um, what I find in my own life. Okay? Um, now, you'll do that. You'll think rightly at the top. And these sins will go away, but repentance is never complete until you put off and put on. So are you anxious? Anxious needs to be replaced with what? Any number of things. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Peace. Um, Anger needs to be put off. And when you fight it at the desire level and what you deserve and relinquishing your demands, that will be good, but replace it. Put on what? If you've been angry. Put on love. Put on patience. Put on kindness. Right? Colossians 3 talks about this. Put these deeds off. Put these obediences on. Your repentance will not be complete until you add what the circle is. These two things need to be like in front of you. Because this will tip you off of what's going on. This will be where repentance needs to end and pass through and persevere through. Okay? You can listen to yourself and what you're telling yourself all day long and be a miserable wretch. Or you can tell yourself what to think. You can shepherd your heart throughout the day. Right? Now, any other thoughts or things you want to add? Tom, you want to add anything? Or Scott, anybody? Please. Uh, As far as repentance, sometimes in the midst of this, you may have only sinned against God in the human heart. Or you like me, you've sinned against other people as well. Uh, but first, remember the truth and the trustworthiness of God. And it's First John 1 9. We confess our sins. When we confess our sins, yeah. four things God promises. He promises to be faithful. He promises to be just. He promises to forgive. He promises to cleanse us, to change us. And if this is not just been in the heart, but other people have affected, you need to go seek their forgiveness for how you've sinned against them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think I like to go back to the first page. And I said I've been a believer uh, 31 years, and I wish I would have known this as a younger believer. And so it would be a shame to see you take this knowledge benefit from it today and not have this leave that room with you. I know many of you, I'm speaking mostly to the ones with smaller children, I know many of you are faithful in reading scripture to your kids. Tell them why. I didn't understand why I read God's word until I had been a believer a long time. I, and it's not like you need to sit here and read the whole thing, but there is so much, so many truths in these paragraphs. Why, 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 why we do it? Be teaching your kids today when they're three years old or ten years old or wherever they are. Why do we do this? Uh, it would be a shame for you not to take this lesson and in bite size to be training up your children because. We all, 100% of us, this is how we sin. So don't miss this opportunity. I know every one of you that I talk to has a desire to be discipling their children and what that looks like. Uh, you've got many years with discipleship material in these four lessons, in these four pages. Take it home, teach it to your kids, 
Well, my my plan when I get home um, today is to grab my daughter and to grab my wife and my son, who I witnessed my behavior last night, and to ask for their forgiveness, because um, I I had a demand that wasn't met, and I was all offended. But you know what? I don't deserve. Is it a right desire that I would my child would confess her sin? Yes. I can address that separately. But I sinned. I sinned. And I need to ask for their forgiveness. I didn't even want to admit it last night when my conscience was trying to talk to me through my wife. I I didn't even want to admit it then. Guys, if if we need to go home and we need to um, ask our wives or our roommates or whoever, somebody else, forgiveness, do it. Chew on this. Let this soak in for a while. Um, We we threw a lot out at you, um, but... Let it work itself out in your relationships where you are seeking forgiveness and restoring relationships. Ask for help from from the people closest to you who can see it. So, all right, guys, thanks for for being here. Let's uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we 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 need your help. We need your um, compassion upon us. We need your patience. God, thank you for um, being so patient when it takes us so long to learn a lesson about how to shepherd our hearts. Lord, and I think about my own life, how long it has taken me to, to, to figure out that there's a root underneath these sins that I haven't been able to get to. Um, and yet, you did not give me what I deserve ever. And even today, still, you have not given me what I deserve. And so, Father, while we still have breath, would you change us? Would you make us into men who are more humble? Men who want you at the center of our desires, your sovereignty, your your perfect oversight of all things, including our desires. Would you make us into men who put the gospel back at the center of what we deserve so that we immediately put ourselves down very low, knowing that what we truly deserve is is your wrath and your judgment and tribulation and distress. We deserve hell. And yet through Christ, we have infinitely better. And Father, make us men like Paul, who though we would have a desire and we would implore you to meet it, to meet that need that we believe we have, even if you don't, God, make us content men. God, that kind of man stands out as light in darkness to this world. God, that man would bless his parents. That man would bless his wife. That man would be a blessing to his children. That man would be a blessing in his church. God, we need you. We pray that you would just continue to sanctify us as you are and that you would find us humble and teachable in it. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for coming.